Welcome to the Nourish Nervous System, an exploration of stress, the nervous system, and transformative self-care practices for parents and other humans through the lenses of Ayurveda, holistic coaching, somatics, herbs, and much, much more. I'm the host, Kristen Timchak. I'm a holistic life coach, Ayurvedic educator, herbalist, and mother of a tiny human. Join me for information, insight, deep thoughts, and small steps to help you nourish your nervous system. Hello, sweet friends, and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Nourish Nervous System podcast. So far, we've been looking at things from an Ayurvedic perspective. Today, we're going to shift gears a little and start talking about stress and the nervous system from a more Western perspective. And we're going to talk specifically about the stress response cycle and how to complete it. I think the idea of the stress response cycle is something that most people are familiar with, but how to complete it is a concept that is newer to me. I first learned about this from reading the book, Burnout, by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. If you haven't read this book yet, I highly, highly recommend it. It's such good information around the stress response cycle, how to complete it, about patriarchy and how that contributes to our stress response, about human human giver syndrome, I think they call it. Um, There's just so, there's so much in there and they just have such wonderful ways of explaining it that feels really accessible and fun and funny and just great. So if you haven't read it yet, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. So just so we're on the same page, establishing our foundation of language, let's start by talking about what the stress cycle or stress response cycle is. So actually, let's go back one more step and let's define stress. So the Cleveland Clinic defines stress as a normal reaction the body has when changes occur, resulting in physical, emotional, emotional, and intellectual responses. In our culture, stress is often viewed as something negative, harmful, or detrimental. But the simple definition of stress, a normal reaction the body has when changes occur, resulting in physiological responses, is not something negative. Not all stress is harmful or bad for us. Certain kinds of stress are beneficial to our bodies and minds. And stress is a normal reaction to change. If you are alive, you are most likely experiencing change of some sort or another, and therefore you experience stress. There is a form of stress called eustress that refers to the stress that can lead to a positive response in the body. It can have many of the same physiological changes as other types of stress, but it's short-term, and instead of feeling overwhelming or uncomfortable, it can feel exciting or something that you are anticipating. They Some examples of eustress are you know, anticipating an exam and then doing really well on it, and that kind of excited feeling afterwards would be the eustress. Or the kind of the feeling of like maybe when you get married or go through a big life change, that's, that's exciting, but it is also stress on the body. The stress response cycle. When we experience an acute stress, think of the classic example of being chased by a lion. The part of the brain that controls emotions, the amygdala, sends a distress signal to the brain's command center called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus 
communicates to the rest of the body through the autonomic nervous system. There are two parts of the autonomic nervous system. There's the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system activates the stress response cycle by sending a signal to the adrenal glands to begin pumping epinephrine or adrenaline through the body. This creates a cascade of physiological changes, including elevated heart rate, elevated blood pressure, faster breathing, which brings more oxygen to the brain, creating alertness, uh, sight, hearing, and other senses become sharper, and you also experience a burst of energy. Essentially, everything your body needs to fight or flee and perceive danger. In the example of the lion, if some part of you knew you could neither fight or flee, it would trigger a parasympathetic response called freeze, where the heart rate and breathing slow way, way down and pain-killing hormones are released into our system. It's also when you see animals play dead, this is what's happening. It's a freeze response. So if you think of the sympathetic response being a gas pedal and the parasympathetic response being a break, fight or flee is pushing hard on the gas pedal where freeze is pushing really hard on the brake. And there's many gradations of sympathetic and parasympathetic response between those two extremes. The other thing to note is that none of these responses are conscious decisions. In the example of the lion, you're chased by the lion, your brain sends out the distress signal, your body releases the stress hormones, and you either fight the lion, you run, or you freeze, hoping the lion doesn't see you. The other thing of note in this process is that any other systems of your body that aren't involved in the immediate survival are shut down, like digestion and sexual function. As the initial surge of adrenaline subsides, the hypothalamus command center, it activates the next part of the stress response system. It's called the HPA axis, and it consists of the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and the adrenal glands, HPA. If the brain continues to perceive danger, there will be a cascade of chemical reactions or chemical signals sent from the hypothalamus to the pituitary gland, and then from the pituitary gland to the adrenal glands, which they then produce cortisol to help the body stay in an alert and activated state. Finally, when the threat has passed, the cortisol levels drop and the parasympathetic nervous system, think rest and digest, kicks in and the body and mind begin to relax. The sympathetic nervous system is like the gas pedal, telling our everything to activate, to get prepared, where the parasympathetic nervous system is the break letting our body know that it's time to relax, to stop, to calm down. Back to our example of the lion. The threat has passed and the lion has either been fought, you've run away to safety, or you froze and the lion has passed you by. So what happens next? Have you ever had an extremely emotional or physical situation and your body just begins to shake uncontrollably? I've had this a few times in my life, um, you know, during fight with somebody or when I was getting a C-section or surgery, things like that. When our body goes through that big trauma, it might just start shaking uncontrollably. Or have you ever seen an animal begin to shake after a dangerous or life-threatening situation? So this is a way that the body completes the stress cycle and releases trauma. The shaking originates from the limbic brain. That's the part of our brain 
responsible for emotional and behavioral responses relating to survival. Um, it's also kind of thought of as our, our oldest part of our brain, the lizard brain. It lets our body know the danger has passed and we can literally shake it off. So now the parasympathetic nervous system can come in and help the body to relax more fully and come back to a state of homeostasis. The threat has a clear ending point in this acute stress example. So the stress response has a clear completion. Now, this is where I think about what I was talking about in last week's episode about vata in the modern world and how in our world compared to the world of our far back ancestors, there's so many more ways that vata can get out of balance. And vata, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you can go check it out. But just for quick reference, vata is referring to the Ayurvedic dosha of air and ether. And it also uh, is the dosha that is in control of the nervous system. So there's so many ways that our nervous system can get out of balance. Generally speaking, we don't have to run from lions on our way to work. But we live in a world where we are constantly on and connected and able to doom scroll and we have deadlines and we are often raising our children in isolated nuclear families without support from extended family and community. We are struggling to make financial ends meet and get the house clean, all the while comparing ourselves to other folks on Instagram or social media who seem to be doing it all better and more easily. And we are dealing with systemic racism and homophobia and this ever-widening divide in our country. The list can just go on and on and on and on. These are stresses that are constant in our lives. There is not a clear endpoint where the body can shake it off and get on with the day. This is our day. I think the other important point is that our body responds to perceived threat. That word is really important. And what we perceive as threatening has changed over time. In the modern world, an email from the boss or a phone call can set off our stress response, as well as talking or thinking about a past trauma or stressful event. There is research that shows that our brains can't tell the difference between a traumatic experience from the past that you are reliving and something happening in the present moment. The body can go into a stress response cycle from a memory, which is one reason becoming really aware of and rewiring our thoughts can be such a powerful tool for healing. And we'll get into that more deeply in a future episode as well. Back to the stressors in our modern world. In the two years after having my baby, when my self-care practices fell away and my level of stress increased, the stress built up and built up until I broke down physically, mentally, and spiritually. And this is where the book Burnout is just so revolutionary. Not only do they talk about how patriarchy informs and upholds all of this, but they talk about the simple and beautiful act of completing the stress cycle. And the way I understand it and see it is that we're having all this constant stress all the time with no clear ending point. So our body doesn't know when to go into that parasympathetic response. It doesn't know when to put on the gas pedal. So completing the stress response is essentially giving your body the signals that it needs to activate the parasympathetic response and to relax, to complete the stress response cycle and 
being come back into a place of homeostasis. So there are some research-backed ways to complete the stress cycle. One of the main ones is exercise. Back to the lion. Unless you froze, there would have been some type of physical exertion involved in survival. So you can imitate this response with exercise. And there are so many ways to exercise. For someone who can't exercise, that's one thing. There are plenty of other ways to complete the stress response cycle. But if you are a person who does not like to exercise, you might just not have found the type of exercise that you like yet. I think for, you know, completing the stress response cycle, exercise that gets your heart rate up is really great. Hiking, biking, aerobics, hit, dancing around your kitchen with your toddler, swimming, jogging, playing basketball, or any kind of team sport, tennis, cross-country skiing, the list could go on and on and on. Uh, Lifting weights, parkour, it can be fun. It can be weird. It doesn't have to be a traditional way to exercise. It could be moshing at a punk rock show or skateboarding or jumping on a rebounder or your kid's trampoline, but it really does work. It really does make a difference and help. Other ways that complete the stress response cycle are laughing or crying. I feel like in a lot of ways, they are two sides of the same coin. And when we talk about laughter, it's not that polite or forced laughter at a dinner party. We're talking about the deep belly laughter that really does the trick. I think about um, my toddler when he wants to be tickled and just like that laughter that comes out and he just wants to, me to do it again and again. And and I've just had this thought the other day of like, oh, wow, he's he's completing his stress response cycles with this. Like it's giving him the release, a release that he needs. And it's such a release. And it lets your body know that you are safe enough, safe enough to be having this emotional release. Another way to complete the stress response cycle is creativity. As with exercise, the ways to be creative are endless. I think the most important part is finding something that you enjoy, that you can get fully involved in. I would not consider myself an artist, but I feel really fed from creativity. Sometimes it has been writing or dance or taking photographs in nature. I went through a phase of creating weird interpretive dance videos in different places in nature. Um, I've written haiku. I've made little tiny books. I've made collages on two by four little cards, just like little teeny tiny collages. I've made cards for friends. I've sewed and knit and made rock cairns or elaborate sandcastles. I mean, it could be cooking, making herbal products. There's so, so many ways to be creative. But I think the main part of it is that it's about the process. It doesn't have to be a product, although it can be, but it's most definitely about the process. And what I enjoy doing creatively changes depending on many factors. Right now, I'm parenting a young child. So I honestly, I don't have tons of time, but I have knit, I made a quilt and I dance, which gets both my exercise and my creativity kind of fulfilled. I look forward to my child being old enough that we can do creative projects together that we both enjoy. But right now we're not at that place yet. So if we are in a fight, flight, or freeze mode and trying to survive, there's not space for creativity. So engaging in these activities lets our brain know that we are safe. That being said, if being creative feels stressful for you, 
maybe you need to find something different or be less precious about it. Or maybe that's just not your ideal way to complete the stress response cycle. Another way to complete the cycle is through connection with others. Consensual physical affection with someone you feel safe with can help mimic the safety step of the stress response. It can also release oxytocin, a feel-good cuddle hormone. And if you don't have someone in your life, you can also get this from cuddling with a pet um, or giving yourself a massage or some healing touch. If you'd like to try an Ayurvedic oil self-massage, I'll leave a link in the show notes. I have a write-up for one on my website, and it's a great way to spend some time to take care of yourself. It nourishes your skin, it's relaxing, and it does help complete the stress response cycle. You're getting that touch. Besides touch, um, being nourished, being in a nourishing community, sharing with a friend that can empathize with you are other ways to help complete the stress cycle. Deep breathing is a really simple way and it's very accessible and it can be paired with meditation or mindful exercises like yoga or qigong or just done on its own. I've had so many moments sitting in my car in a parking lot after I've just lost it with my son and really have just sat and focused on my breath. And I'll often do what is known as the box breath. So I breathe into a count of four, hold the breath to a count of four, exhale to a count of four, and hold the breath out to a count of four. And there are very many variations of this breath using different different numbers to count to, but what it does is it intentionally slows the breathing down. It shifts you into the parasympathetic mode. It gets you out of that fight or, I mean, really fight kind of mode that you get in when you're losing it with your child. And it's not always easy to do, but it really, I've had times where I really have seen what a difference it makes for me just to take those moments to focus on my breath, get my breathing more deeply into my belly and that I can often calm down and get back onto solid ground. And the last thing I'm going to mention to complete the stress response is resting. Prioritizing sleep. Letting there be some time that you do nothing. Like really nothing. Not scrolling or watching a show. Literally practice being a cat. Watch the light change on the wall. Breathe. Let your mind wander. If it's really hard for you to do nothing, schedule it into your week. Start with five minutes. Set a timer if you need to. We live in a culture that prioritizes productivity, overexertion, and exhaustion. And doing nothing can be a completely revolutionary act. And it's incredibly challenging sometimes. The need to do more, to be more productive, to always be doing something, it's so prevalent. and. I think we really prioritize that kind of yang energy in our culture. In order for us to be balanced, we really have to bring in that yin energy, the the quiet, rest, dark, doing nothing energy. Here's the takeaway. We have stress every day. Much of the stress is chronic with no clear ending point for our body to complete the stress cycle, which eventually leads to burnout and breakdown. So, We need to complete the stress cycle every day. A small step for this week is to find one way that you can complete the stress cycle. Find something that feels doable for you, that you enjoy, 
and start to implement it. Notice any shifts. One thing that I will say about this is if if you have, have had a lot of buildup of stress and you start implementing some practices to complete the stress cycle, it might actually take a little bit to really get back down to that baseline point. Like it might not just be that you feel great after one walk or one run or one like creative session. You might, it, it really takes the consistency of doing it every day if you can. If you can do more than one thing a day, that's great. But just, you know, start with one thing and just notice over time how it shifts things, how you feel. Okay, well, that's all for today. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you listening. 